from Wyoming Public Media. This, this, this is this is spoken 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 words spoken words. This is spoken words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Abby had some ideas, including building a wall between Mexico and America and keeping Mexicans out. And he wanted to keep people off of wilderness lands. He did not want to make them handicap accessible. He did not want roads in the national parks. In this episode, we're hearing from Sean Prentice. He teaches at Norwich University and in the MFA Writing and Publishing Program at Vermont College of Fine Arts. And his latest book is called Finding Abbey, The Search for Edward Abbey and His Hidden Desert Grave. Edward Abbey was a writer and anarchist who championed preservation of wilderness in the desert southwest. His most famous works, Desert Solitaire and The Monkey Wrench Gang, inspired radical environmental activism. When he died in 1989, his closest friends buried him in a secret location, marked only by a stone engraved with Abby's name and the words, no comment. In Finding Abby, Prentice chronicles a search that transforms his life. So for me, the book is a quest story. Whether I find the grave or don't find the grave does not matter. It's about figuring out who I am, my place in the world, in the West, in the Midwest, and now in Vermont. And it's about that idea of mystery. One thing I love about writing, and I especially love about creative nonfiction, is this idea to essay means to attempt or to try. And that means we ask questions about our lives and about the lives of people around us, but we don't ever promise that we're going to have an answer. And it's the central question that we're looking toward that drives us. The questions Prentice poses take him to the places Edward Abbey loved and fought so hard to protect. Prentice hikes among the hoodoos and red rock mesas of Utah, searches the deserts of Arizona, and interviews Abby's closest friends. These places and people give Prentice a sense for Abby's legacy. The essence of Edward Abbey is a few major things. One is environmental radicalism, monkey wrenching. You know, it's this idea of how do we defend the wildness that remains, especially out west. I live in Vermont and I completely love it here. And when I walk through the woods, whether I'm bow hunting or hiking, I'll see apple trees that are 150 you know, years old. I'll see cellar holes from when this entire landscape was denuded and we went from the Green Mountains to you know, sheep ranch land. So almost every single acre of Vermont has not only had humans inhabiting it, but we've deforested the entire state and it's come back and it's stunning and it's beautiful but the west has a different sort of wildness to it and i think abby's defense of that wildness with environmental radicalism is one of the huge things he's left across the land how do we protect what remains and another part is just his voice when i read so many western writers I can't help but hear them trying to be like Edward Abbey, brash and loud and demanding, and at times rude and insulting. But it's that brash Western voice, that ethos of his. And then it's his study of the landscape. Few writers can write about defending the land as much or as, can write as loudly as Abbey does. But also so few can just study the land and choose those right details and give it to me in a way that I can see the desert and I can feel the desert and I can taste the dryness and I can be emotionally moved. So those are just some of the things that Abby's left upon the West. 
And some of Abby's more controversial views are about issues at the center of public debate in the West today. Prentice believes Abby's views can be helpful today as long as they are understood in their context. Abby had some ideas, including building a wall between Mexico and America and keeping Mexicans out. And he wanted to keep people off of wilderness lands. He did not want to make them handicapped accessible. He did not want roads in the national parks. So that seems to clearly put him on the side of the Oregon standoff folks who are trying to take back that land. But I don't think that's actually the case. I think that's just the image. And the reason I say that is because out in Oregon, what they were trying to do was take it back so that they could put their cattle on it. And though Abby was very much an anarchist and very much for keeping control in the local hands, which fits into that narrative, his bigger issue, I think, was for wilderness protection. What Abby would rather have done would be to keep those cattle off of those public lands. And he wanted to always protect public lands for the public and for the environment itself. So I don't think he would have sided with them. And same with Trump and his terrible idea to build a wall between Mexico and America. Abby wanted to build that exact same wall. And Abby had ideas that were probably racist. But the biggest thing he wanted to do with that wall was to keep people out of America And I think this was short-sighted, but he wanted to do that because he recognized that population was a major concern to America. And I think he was 100% right about that. Climate change, to me, is a vital issue that we need to be talking about every single day. But I don't think the way we're going about it is the way we're going to solve it. So we keep saying we need to come up with better technologies, which we do need to do. We need to think about how to reduce emissions, which we do need to do. We need to think about our consumption, which we do need to do. But Abby was right, and a lot of people are, I think, afraid to talk about this. But the number one issue facing not America but the world is population overload. And we are exponentially growing as a world, and we need to stop that. And Abby's ideas of building a wall was to keep the population, at least in our corner of the world, down. But we need to do it across the world. And we don't do it by building walls. We do it by educating people, especially low-income women, internationally. Edward Abbey is a controversial figure because of views like this. Prentice has his own disagreements with some of Abbey's views and offers this advice to readers. There's a few ways to put Abbey and his views and his stances into perspective. The first one is to remember that he was writing... 55, 60 years ago, which was literally an entirely different world in terms of population. It was a different world in terms of gender and, and, and race. And that does not give him a free pass because there were many people who had what I'll call more nuanced or smarter views on all those things. But one thing is to just put him in his time period and he was not all that unusual, which is a shame both for Abby and for those other views, I think they were old and outdated. So that's one way. It's just, let's remember that he's not writing today. We're reading him today, and I'm glad about that. The other part is, I just think about all the things I've said that have been rude or insensitive and how I've grown from beginning to end. And and I think Abby did that as well. A lot of those views came from a time in his life when, from what I've heard from his friends, he was less centered. He was possibly drinking more. He was womanizing more. So, you know, I think he outgrew some of those things. And I think we have to give him credit for that. And then the other thing I think about is, you know, I I just don't know how effective monkey wrenching is as a 
as an idea today. I don't know if pouring sugar into gas tanks is going to bring about tons of change, but what I can tell you is that he was the first major environmental radical that I know of, and his creation of the Ideas in Monkey Wrench Gang, which led to Earth First, has transformed the environmental movement. It transforms the way we can speak about the environment. And I also think it led to where we are today, which I think the new environmental radicalism might be the farmer's markets and CSAs and, and, and shopping and living locally. What Abby was trying to do was to protect the environment by destroying the things that were destroying the land. I think the new way to do that would be to live as local as we can, to recognizing carrying capacity, to be thinking about how we can empower women to reduce population. So even if some of Abby's ideas are outdated, that's fine because we have to take these steps and his ideas are leading us to the new ideas of today. And then I guess the very final thing is, you know, Abby's a complicated human and we just need to remember that each of us makes mistakes and each of us is brilliant and Abby's brilliance, I think, outshines what I would see as his mistakes. Whether or not Abby's work survives the critique of his political views, Prentice believes his legacy is guaranteed. But I guess what I would say is even if Abby disappears, if we don't read another one of his books, we cannot undo what he's done. And what that means is he helped radicalize the environmental movement. He helped, as Jack Loeffler talked about in the book, he helped bring together environmentalism and, and anarchism in a way that just changed the entire way we look at the world. Think about Timothy de Christopher and, and how he acted out West. I mean, that's an anarchist move, and it's completely different than what Abby did. Rather than pouring gas into a tractor, what he's doing is he's illegally buying up oil rights, and that is a transformation of how we view this. And again, the CSAs, the farmers markets, buying and living locally is a way that just follows right in the tradition of Abby. So I think his friends are really worried about Abby's legacy disappearing. But even if we forget that Abby did this stuff, we can never undo the changes he brought about towards the environmental movement. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. Whether we remember Abby or don't, he has changed our world, at least for the foreseeable future. And that's an amazing thing for a writer to do. Prentice hopes his book will inspire others to something bigger than the search for Abby's grave. So Finding Abby was about questioning who Abby was. It was about questioning where his grave was. It was about questioning what I'll find if I go looking for that grave. And one of the things I worked really hard to do in this book was to give the reader all the clues that are out there that are easy to find about where Abby's grave is. I have a little list in there. And if you do any amount of research, you'll find that list. But more importantly, what I want to do is I hope to draw people towards wilderness and wildness and mystery and this idea of what is out there in our lives that we can go chase after. Here's Sean Prentice reading a passage from Finding Abby, where he and his friend House are nearing the end of the search for Abby's grave. In late evening, House and I stumble, exhausted, back to the Jeep. Even after a long day of failure in our search for Abby's grave, we smile because we've traveled far within this great desert in search of something larger than a grave. And as we swallow huge gulps of water blanketed by the hot night air, we talk about our plan for tomorrow, our final day of searching. Since today we scoured the two areas where we hoped Abby's grave would be, we shrug, shrug our shoulders as we talk about where next to search. We don't have a clue. Finally, House and I decide on a whim to search a wildcard spot tomorrow, a spot neither of us had ever anticipated traveling to, a spot we never envisioned as we thought about our search for Abby's grave. 
But we have nothing left. We were wrong in our planning. Our clues have failed us. We're out of options and we're running out of time. Tomorrow, House has to fly back to Colorado. So on the edge of the dark of the night, we climb into the Jeep, and after a quiet day with only a few birds and a subtle breeze as company, we are startled by the snarl of the engine. I put the Jeep in gear and drive. We cover a distance. Is it a single mile or a thousand miles from last night's camp? Distances are so tricky in the desert. We park on a dirt road. When I shut off the Jeep's engine, we are parked deep inside Organ Pipe Cactus National Monument, where Abby had said he wanted to be buried. We're still in the Sonoran Desert, so the clues I've compiled still make sense. But before the engine has even cooled, we realize it must be Saguaro National Park, near Abby's Tucson home where he is buried. That's the only thing that makes sense. So we race northward and arrive just as the sky goes crazy with sunrise. And just as we're about to begin our Saguaro search, one of us, maybe House, decodes a new clue and discover that Abby's even closer to Tucson somewhere he could have been carried immediately after his death. So we race off to Ina Road. We head for the spot where Abby first tried to die. Yes, this must be it. And everything about being buried in the Cabeza Prieta was just Abby's friends monkey wrenching one more time. But as we drive towards Ina Road, we realize that our clues are wrong. So we weave our way up and over Mount Lemon to Oracle. Wait, wait, no, no, to Wolf Hole. Abby never lived in either of those spots, though he claimed to in his book. That must be where he was buried. He finally makes those places home. Or in the dead of night, we realize that the Tucson region is all wrong, so we race past a phoenix night that glows like a supernova. Tonight, brilliant, but soon about to fade away to nothing. We drive past Flagstaff before dawn and fall asleep as the sun breaks over the gaping yawn of the Grand Canyon. This is where we'll find Abby's grave, right here, because Abby once in 1949 almost died in a side canyon of Havasu Canyon, trapped on a remote ledge without rope. What better place to call your final home than where you once almost lost your life? But after all these miles of driving, we come to see that all these locations are ghost chases, leading us nowhere. So we park at the top of Comb Ridge in Utah, and during the midnight hour, we hike past ancestral Puebloan ruins, only to realize we're in the wrong canyon, and we need to drop into the frigid waters of the Black Hole of White Canyon near that damned Lake Fowl, or we search the banks of every river we can name, the Rio Grande, the Green, the San Juan, the Colorado, the Dolores, which means sorrow in Spanish. And on our way to the San Juan River, we decide to park on the edge of Cedar Mesa and hike in a Grand Gulch. Tomorrow, we'll search Collins Canyon. We'll find either Everett Roos's or Abby's grave down there. Either will be the discovery of a lifetime. But no, we realize again, all of these places are wrong. Abby's grave is in the maze. How could we not have realized? Now we just need to find a way in and a way back out. Or else the grave is right under our noses. This episode was produced by Teo Basquia. I'm Micah Schweitzer. If you have a moment right now, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes so other people can find the show. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing program and Wyoming Public Media.